Hello listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. I just wanted to let you know that if you enjoy what I'm doing here, then it really helps me when you leave a review or a rating on the podcast provider that you're using to listen to this, when you subscribe to the show's YouTube channel, or when you become a supporter over on Patreon, where you can get access to bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, and transcripts by pledging to one of the show's patron tiers. And speaking of patrons, I wanted to give a shout-out to Stephen Monty, Corey John, and Lexi M., Thank you so much for your support, and I hope that you're all enjoying the extra material that you now have access to. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. I'm your host, Tom Kearns, and welcome to the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, episode 55, Athelhera and Athelwald. Following Anna's death at the hands of Mercian invaders in 653, East Anglia was left entirely at the mercy of King Penda and his forces. Having been put on the back foot by the dramatic events of the Mercian invasion, the East Anglians scrambled for any stability in the storm. They turned, hopeful for respite, to Athelhera, brother of the slain king. This Athelhera was no fool. He knew that his battered army stood no chance against Penda, and so he took the only path open to him, submission to Mercian overlordship. There is some hint that Athelhera's surviving brother, Athelwald, may have served as a sub-king at the same time, since Bede does refer to both Athelhera and Athelwald as successors of Anna. No other documentation survives from this period to confirm or deny this, but dividing the kingdom among surviving siblings could certainly have helped strengthen Penda's control of the East Angles by pitting the siblings against each other. Whether this was Penda's goal, and if it was whether it succeeded, is a moot point, because Athelhera's reign was extremely brief anyway, lasting only from 653 to 655. In 655, if you think back to the episodes on Oswiu and Penda, the Mercians launched an invasion of Northumbria at the head of an army comprised of various sub-kings and Mercia's British allies, among them Athelhera and the contingent of East Anglians. If he was a client of the Mercians, then it is likely that Athelhera had no choice but to join the campaign. But even if he was not a client king, given Penda's track record of military success, it makes sense that Athelhera would choose to join the Mercians in the hope that he might keep them from again assaulting East Anglia. The forces of Mercia and Northumbria met on the banks of the river Winward, which had been swelled by recent rainfall, and a great battle was fought 
in which the Mercians suffered a shocking defeat. Penda was killed, along with many of the sub-kings who marched with him. Athelhera was one of these kings who fell by Penda's side, either at the hands of the Northumbrian soldiers, or by being swept away in the Windward's rushing waters. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. After the death of Athelhera, East Anglia was left to Athelwald. It was now also free of the threat posed by Penda, as Mercia was now cowed by the installation of his son Peada as a puppet king to the Northumbrians. With the prospect of peace on the horizon, Athelwald was able to turn his attention to other matters. The most pressing had to do with the diversity of religious practice found among English Christians at this time. If you'll recall, the conversion of England was broadly affected by different groups in the north and the south. In the south, the Roman mission headed by Augustine of Canterbury was at the forefront of conversion efforts. In the north, following an abortive mission by Paulinus, the bulk of conversion was headed by Irish monks operating under the protection of kings Oswald and Oswiu. In the Midlands and East Anglia, both of these missionary groups were active. East Anglia, for example, had close ties to Kent and Canterbury through marriages to Kentish royalty and the influence of the alliance with King Edwin. The main East Anglian bishopric at this time, Domuk, was also loyal to Canterbury. However, Siobert had also cultivated the presence of Irish missionaries, such as Fursi, and given them patronage to establish the monastery of Knobheresburg. It was this monastery that Anna had died defending in 653. With the death of the pagan Penda, Mercia and her surrounding tribal groups became fertile ground for conversion. 
To be clear, Penda had never persecuted Christians or prevented them from preaching. Indeed, he made no attempt to prevent his son Peada from becoming a Christian. But there was only so much a mission could do in a kingdom whose ruler remained pagan. So with Penda's death, there was a rush of missionaries into the English Midlands and the surrounding kingdoms. East Anglia, under Athelwald, played its own part in this rush. This is most clearly seen in the case of the East Saxons. Essex had a volatile history by this point of converting and then suffering pagan reaction. A similar reversion occurred when Siobert II, who had been converted under the direction of Oswiu, was murdered by the pagan Swithhelm, who subsequently became king of Essex. This Swithhelm, though, was eventually persuaded to receive baptism, but this time he was convinced under the influence of Athelwald, who invited the king to Rendlesham, where he became Swithhelm's godfather. Around this same time, the tensions between the Irish and the Roman parties began to flare into conflict. Specifically, the superiority of Roman practice is believed to have been a motivation for a rebellion by Alfred, son of Oswiu. This rebellion and the fears of instability it aroused spurred Oswiu to seek to settle the religious question once and for all. He did this by convening the Synod of Whitby in 663, at which it was decided that all of England would follow the Roman practice. Since Athelwald and the East Anglians were already officially loyal to Canterbury, Whitby served to strengthen their prestige. Most likely, the Irish monks in the kingdom were required to either adopt the new customs or be replaced by monks practising the Roman customs. Besides the religious policy, it was also under Athelwald that the daughters of Anna began to play a prominent role in English history. It was Athelwald who brokered the marriage between his niece Athelthrith and Edgefrith, the son of Oswiu, a prestigious marriage that also served to solidify Athelthrith's conviction that she wanted to become a nun and which led eventually to the foundation of her abbey at Ely. It was also around this time that Wulfhera, the newly independent king of Mercia, married the daughter of Seaxbur and King Eochenbert of Kent. Through this marriage, he was converted to Christianity, which eventually inspired him to found the monastery of Medeshamstede, an abbey which made its local settlement wealthy, and which is today known as Peterborough. If you'll recall, Seaxbur, the mother of Wolfhera's wife, was also a daughter of Anna, and therefore a member of Athelwald's kin. Besides this, we don't know very much about Athelwald's reign. It's not even entirely certain when or how he died, but by 664, East Anglia was ruled by a new king, Eildwulf. It seems that Athelwald died childless, and this Eildwulf was a descendant of a different branch of the Wolfingas dynasty. As things would play out, Eildwulf would have a long and fairly successful reign, but it would also be the penultimate reign by a member of the Wuffingers dynasty in East Anglia, as their time in the sun would soon come to a sudden end. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. I've been your host, Tom Kearns, and I hope you'll join me again next time. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. 
Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.